The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. They saw him do amazing things during his earthly ministry. The disciples watched Jesus heal the sick. But you know, they never said, Lord, teach us to heal the sick. They saw him preach to thousands of spellbound people, but they never said, Lord, teach us to preach. They saw him make dead people come alive again. But they never said, Lord, teach us to raise the dead. But when they saw him pray, when they saw the intimacy that he had with his Father in heaven, when they saw the, the profundity of his prayer life, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray like this. And then he gave them the words of the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we use almost every Sunday, a prayer that said, millions of times a day by billions of people around the world. A prayer that is meant, well, to be instructional for our prayer life. Right? When Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, he didn't mean this is the only way you can pray. He didn't say you have to use these words just like this, but he meant to instruct his church to teach us something about prayer, to teach us something about our Father and our place within this world all with this thing that, he called, that we call the Lord's Prayer. And so when this reading came up in the lectionary today, I thought it'd be really important for us to spend a couple of minutes taking a look at this prayer that Jesus gave in response to his disciples when they saw Jesus praying and said, Lord, can you teach us that? Now, maybe you noticed when you were hearing the Gospel of Luke read that that Lord's Prayer didn't really match the one we use. And you were going, how, how come ours is different? But you got to remember, Jesus taught his disciples to pray more than one time. Once in Matthew, it looks a little closer to the one we use in our service folder. Once here in Luke, he did it. Um, and in fact, some parts of the Lord's Prayer that you see in the service folder, you're never going to find in the Scriptures, at least not in the translation we're using. Those very last words, if you look on page 9 at our, the version of the Lord's Prayer we're using, the last two lines there is called the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Um, that was never part of the text to the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels. That was a liturgical response that God's people would say after the Lord's Prayer that eventually got copied into some of the old manuscripts and even found its way then into the ones that people used when they translated the King James Version. So if you grew up with that and you're wondering why aren't those words in the Gospel here, that there's your reason. And I think it's another example for us to learn here with Jesus teaching us about prayer that it's not about say these exact words. It's about what is Jesus teaching us through them. And you know, in his very first words when he says pray like this, he says something that should just make us stop and pause for a minute. He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Think about what he's saying there. Right? Jesus is the Son of God. And so he has this intimate relationship with God as his Father. But now what he's saying with this is he's saying that uh, the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with his Father is gifted to you and me through the miracle of the Incarnation. 
right? Because the Son of God became truly human. What that does is that means he's our brother. And he says, if I get to call God Father, so do you. Because in the miracle of the incarnation, God didn't, the, the deity wasn't dragged down to human level. That's not how the incarnation worked. But instead, humanity was assumed by the Son of God. And so that means you and I, we've been given this unbelievable intimacy of being able to talk to the Father who is in heaven. Remember what Jesus is saying there. The one who created this whole universe. I mean, from the smallest microscopic atom or atomic particle that you can find to the farthest star that you can see with the James Webb telescope. The God who created that and rules and sustains it, who's got all the power in the universe, Jesus says you can call him our Father. Because you and I were, were brothers, we're sisters, we're now all children of God. You know, I tell you what, uh, you may have had a good father, or you may have had a bad father. You might have had a present one, or you might have had an absent one, but all of us know what a true father should be like. And here in this very first part of the prayer, Jesus reminds you that you and I, when we start to pray, we get to assert our relationship with the greatest father we could ever imagine. The father who is in heaven and over heaven allows us to call him ours. No wonder the things we ask for in the first part of the Lord's Prayer are so big. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it kind of breaks into two parts. You get to ask first three petitions, or the asking God of things. Um, the first three petitions are, um, you know, we pray that uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, those are, uh, we're asking God about things that deal with his, with his name, with his glory, with his dominion. And then the second half, three more petitions, deal with our needs. They're about our food, our forgiveness, and our holiness. It's, you know, forgive us, or give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the first three are about God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. The second three are about our needs, our food, our forgiveness, our holiness. But you know, when we're calling on a father who has all the power that this one does, we're able to make asks that are out of this world. And that's what the first three petitions really are, right? Hallowed be your name. Um, hallowed, that's just another name for to make something holy, to set it apart as holy. Uh, so what are we praying for when we say, hallowed be thy name? Well, God's name is holy all by itself. Our, our prayer isn't what makes it holy. What we're praying is that our hearts and lives reflect the fact that they know, understand, and implement the holiness of the name of God, right? That the word of God and God's holy name would be the stuff of our words, our actions, and our life. Sometimes a prayer we need to pray because, well, we're not all that good at keeping God's name holy. I mean, our Father doesn't hide what he wants from us. It's not like God has hidden what he wants in mystery. I mean, God, God tells you exactly how you're supposed to act with your boyfriend or girlfriend, doesn't he? He's really clear about it. God tells you exactly how he wants you to act towards your spouse. There's no mystery. 
In fact, God even tells you exactly how he wants your attitude and what you should do with your money. It's not like it's a hidden knowledge. The issue with us is sometimes we, uh, we know exactly what God would ask of us. We just don't hallow his name. That's why the second petition is really important, too. Let your kingdom come. Because you see, what that is, is that's a prayer that you're asking Jesus to come and set up his throne in your heart. Come to reign as king of your heart and to have no other king in your heart. Come to reign and displace any other thing that would want to run your life or run your heart. It's a prayer that says, Jesus, don't let me be run by selfishness. Don't let lust run my heart. Don't let jealousy run my heart. Jesus, I want there to be only room for you. Only for you. Jesus, I want your reign to break out in my life and in the lives of the people around me and in my community. Come, Jesus, and set up your throne here among us, all around me. And then let your will be done. As earth, as, on, as in heaven, so on earth. It's a prayer saying, Lord, we want your will to be done as perfectly here as it's done by the angels in heaven. So what are you praying for when you pray that every Sunday? Your will be done on earth. Well, you're praying that God would, would thwart the plans of Satan. That he would cease the actions of evil men. You're praying that he will end wars and violence. You're praying that he would give justice and dignity to the oppressed. That he would give care and hope to the poor, the lonely, and the downtrodden. But something that's really important to remember, every time you pray that, you know what else you're praying for? You're praying and asking your Heavenly Father that our words, our actions, our hearts and hands will be part of the way that God answers these prayers for the sake of the world. So we pray that God's will be done, but we're also praying that we Christians then would use our hearts and hands and voices to do those very things that we pray for, to stop the plans of evil men, to bring justice and dignity to the oppressed, to feed the poor and care for the sick and the lonely, to be the helping hands of God in a hurting world. You know, these first three petitions, they might be these huge, big asks, but don't ever forget, every time you pray this prayer, you are signing up for service in the kingdom. You are signing up for service to your king. Every time we pray these petitions, we're praying also that you and I will be part of God's answer to those prayers. That God's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Then Jesus teaches us something really interesting about prayer. And you got these big lofty petitions about kingdoms and names and, and will be done. And then he moves, he moves to something which is, well, kind of the nitty-gritty of daily life. Jesus tells us it's okay to pray for stuff. That, isn't that what the next petition says when he says, give us this day our daily bread? Jesus said it's, you don't just have to pray for spiritual things when you're talking to your Heavenly Father. You can ask him for physical things. Although it is kind of interesting that even in that, Jesus is teaching us, right? If you look at all the petitions, how many of them are spiritual petitions and how many are physical? 
There's just one that asks for physical blessings, right? Jesus intends for our prayer life to be focused on what our real lives should be focused on, which is the spiritual, not the physical. But yet, he says it's okay to pray for the things that we need. But even here, isn't his instruction interesting? And he says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, the, nah, the Greek word there probably best is translated, uh, give us bread for the day or bread for today. Um, Lord, provide what I need today. I wonder if that's a, hard, uh, a harder prayer for people who live in relative affluence like you and me. You know, I, I don't know many people who don't know where tomorrow's loaf of bread's going to come from. I don't. Um, maybe our concerns aren't about tomorrow's loaf of bread, but instead ours are more like, well, DoorDash is late. Right? They're out of my favorite kombucha at Publix. What to do? Right? I think this is a really important thing for us to learn, those of us who are in this affluent society that... You know, God said when he told us to pray for spiritual things, he told us to pray for what we needed for the day. For the day. Maybe it's like what the author of Proverbs wrote, Proverbs 30, he said, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Probably all of us fall on one side of that continuum or the other. Maybe you find yourself on the side that you have too little that you think you might need to steal bread for your family. Or maybe, maybe you fall on the other, which is you have plenty. And the temptation then is to say, I don't need the providing hand of my heavenly Father. I, I have everything I need. Jesus is reminding us that when it comes to spiritual blessings, whether you're talking about, and daily bread here can mean everything from your food to your job to your health care to your physical health, he reminds us that our true security doesn't come from the best 401k plans or the best health care plans or, you know, the, uh, a better year-end bonus. True security li means living from the hand of our Father who knows exactly what we need and exactly what we don't. Give us this day our daily bread means, Lord, help me to order my life. Help me to order my life the way you would have it. Where the things you give me are blessings that are meant for me to give you glory and take care of the people around me. But they're not what this life is about. Now, give me this day my daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, I, I sin all the time. I, I need your forgiveness daily. I know all the sins that I commit, they offend you, Lord. And I plead for your mercy. Keep your promise that Jesus' death on the cross meant my sins are forgiven from first to last and that his resurrection from the dead means there is no guilt for me because I can't live with that guilt, Lord. I can't live with the offense. I need your forgiveness. Keep your promises to me. As we forgive those who trespass against us. That, that one always bothered me when I was younger. Because I kind of thought that meant God's going to forgive my sins as well as I forgive the sins of people around me. 
And that kind of scared me because I didn't really forgive the sins of people around me very well back then, right? That's not the answer here. God's grace isn't contingent on our activity. So God isn't saying, I'm only going to forgive you as much as you forgive the people around you. No, God's grace is only contingent on his mercy, uh, on his love, right? What, what this is saying, though, is this. Simply, uh, forgiven people forgive. When I understand the magnitude of God's grace that washed away all of my sins, when I understand just how holy my God is, and yet he forgave me for all of those sins, well, then that forgiveness, it just overflows to the people around me. How can I bear grudges? How can I fail to forgive people when I understand the great debt that I've been forgiven? To fail to do that would be, well, would be counter the Christian life. That's, remember when Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? That one servant, he had this huge, amazing debt that no one could imagine how you could ever owe this much to the king. He was going to get thrown in prison for the rest of his life. He says, Lord, have mercy on me. And the, God, or in the king, uh, he wipes away the debt, says, you can go free. Unbelievable forgiveness. Servant goes out, runs into one of his buddies who owed him a few hundred dollars. What does he do? Does he forgive him his debt? No. He has him arrested and thrown in prison. When the king finds out, he's understandably very upset and said, you wicked servant, I've forgiven you all of this, and you won't forgive your brother or sister? The point Jesus was making was that forgiven people forgive. And when we pray, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a prayer that that the forgiveness God pours into our heart will continue to flow out in our life and help us forgive those people who probably don't deserve it. Forgive those people who uh, probably never said they were sorry. Forgive those people who might not have even changed their ways. But forgiven people forgive. Finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This was another one that bothered me when I was a kid because I'm like, well, if I'm asking God not to lead me into temptation, does that mean sometimes God leads me into temptation? That's not what this is saying here at all. Um, God doesn't tempt anybody to sin. The Bible says each of us, by our own evil deeds and desires, are dragged away and enticed. God doesn't tempt into sin. So, so what's he saying here? Um, on a real technical level, you, we call this dialectic negation, which means you emphasize a negative to try to accentuate a positive. Um, without necessary, so like for example, say someone has been hurting you, disappointing you over and over and over again, and you finally say to them, you know what, I don't want any more sorries, I just want you to do what's right. Are you saying you never want to hear the word sorry again? No, you're just, the point is, no, I, I, it's not that I want to hear the word sorry, it's that I really want you to do what's right. It's kind of like when God in the book of Hosea said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Was God turning off the entire sacrificial system when he said that? No, he was just saying that God's people, they were offering sacrifices without a change in their heart. And he said, you know what, if you don't have a change in your heart, I don't care about the sacrifices. And in the same way here, we're saying, God, don't let, don't let me be overcome by the overpowering entanglement of temptation or sin. And in fact, all the more so, Lord, deliver me from evil and from the evil one the source of that temptation, the source of all the trouble and sorrow in this world. Lord, I don't want to sin, and I don't want to fall victim 
to temptation. So Lord, deliver me from the evil one. You know, sometimes God delivers us from evil. And we recognize too when we pray this prayer that sometimes God delivers us straight on through it to his heavenly home. But in either case, we as a Christian can know that in the hands of our Father, there's no place we'd rather be. You know, uh, you have a father that is a thousand times better than every, any earthly father could ever hope to be. And Jesus today, he's reminding you in this prayer that the very fatherhood that God expresses is what guarantees that he cares about every one of those problems in your life. And his person absolutely guarantees that he can do something about them. So the disciples, they come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives us this wonderful instruction about our Father, our heart, our lives, and our place in this world. The next time we pray this prayer, think about what we're praying. Think about what Jesus is offering. And then maybe we'll join with the church for 2,000 years and say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 